Welcome to episode 242 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and oh, <laughs> I'm in Manchester. <laughs> I forgot this I is moved. A comedy of, this is a comedy of errors. It's not even in the notes of Chicago. It says no, Manchester. No, old Chicago, comma, UK. With me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, how's Chicago treating you? Is it like Chicago upon Leeds or something? Stoke on Trent. That's a town nearby. <laughs> Good to see you, my friend. How's everything going? How's how's your Sunday treating you? It was fine. I took my toddler to swimming classes and he hated it. It was difficult and a little embarrassing. Oh, no. Has he gone before? Yes. Did he like it before? No. Oh, so he hates, he's one of those children, like, they're, they're always like, yeah, you just throw your baby in the water, and they just naturally take to it. Just hold so his not, head at the surface <laughs> of the pool. <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll get gills. They're adaptable. I feel like that's not how it works, but. Devin, what do you know? Oh, by the way, also I know the nothing. Senor Doomwake, it's Devin O'Donnell. Yeah, I don't know. Why am I, why am I Senor today? Is that you just had the vibe? That was. That was the vibe when I was writing the notes earlier. <laughs> okay. All right. Should I talk Just, in a in a relatively Spanish accent the entire show? I think that would probably not go over well. No? Okay. I Devin, won't do that then. 242 episodes. We haven't been canceled yet. Okay. I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll at least get to 243. I can promise you that. All right. Good deal. So, you know, I realized we missed the two for one episode. You know what I'm saying? Like that was that was last week. That's like a famous limited resources thing. Oh, you know, like the two yeah. for one. I don't know if they still do the for one. I know they did like two for one, I think three for one, stuff like that. But we missed our opportunity to just talk about two for ones. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that my okay. excellent episode with George Jabor wasn't good enough for you your pun. You know, we're gonna thing. we're gonna talk about some two for ones today. Sweet. Yeah, exactly. That's for sure. We have a lot of two for ones to talk about, if not a uh, three or four or five for ones. Jinkies. Before we talk about that, can can we take a second to talk about heavy play? If you didn't, I'd be upset. It's my favorite card gaming accessory brand. It's going to improve your gameplay and your game day. If you haven't checked it out already, you absolutely have to go to heavyplay.com and see for yourself. Their playmats, their deck boxes, their card sleeves are all designed with enhanced ergonomics, mobility, and protection so you can feel good about using your cards in really sweet and state-of-the-art accessories using their unique EquipMag system, which allow you to magnetically attach your dice trays, your bundle decks, and carry your playmat all in one hand. Yeah, and people have been talking about the sleeves, the curve sleeves in the Discord lately, and I think people are liking them. I think that people had purchased more of like the deck boxes and play mats kind of initially. And I think more people are kind of jumping on the curve sleeve wagon. And I have not heard anything bad yet. And some people seem to like the, the curvy nature of them. I have not put them through their paces. So I do not have uh, a take here, but I know that the, uh, there's lots of cool colors and it's definitely something to grab at least one pack of and check out. You know what I like to do with my cur curved sleeves? I'm just going to grab my uh, Palkia V-Star Pokemon deck, which is in my heavy play sleeves. I, when I shuffle them, I like to shuffle them yeah. upside down. Rather than putting the curves up against one another, I put the, what? the sharp edges against one another and I find that that's been doing a really good job of 
protecting my sleeves, my heavy play sleeves specifically. Oh, is the whole go. point of the sleeves to use the curve? Then that's where you shuffle. No, I don't think that's that's not the point of the curve. The curve is to make sure that you never have cards upside down. Okay, I think that I, I thought it's kind of a little bit of each. Yeah, because I, I, I thought the curve would help the shuffle a little bit. It's to protect my delicate hands from the bottom corners of the cards. That too. Yeah, but. Like Stanislav was saying, if you want to grab some of these, you can go to heavyplay.com, use code THEDIVEDOWN2023 for 10% off of your first order there. Stanislav, what are we doing this week? One second, let me put away my Pokemon deck. before I. No, keep it out. Let's play some Pokemon today. Before I pour some tea on it, before I pour some PG how tips. Many, how many energies? You know, I'm running 10. I'm running 10 blue energy. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to assume it's a good thing. If Jerry Thompson were here, he'd say, you need to add some more mana. Well, that's what I did. I added. Everyone was playing like eight or nine. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're playing 10. That's not what today's show's about, though. This week's show, it's a classic grab bag episode full of various Magic the Gathering contents. First, we're going to talk about some tournament reports. We're going to talk about some new cards, which are weirdly similar to some old cards. And then we're also going to have beans. Beans for tea. And more than beans, I think. We've got like some, some bonus, bonus bean content from Senor Doomwake himself. Mm. Beans and other triggers. I, I definitely have not eaten any beans this week, so. <laughs> it's for the best. Before all that, though, let's housekeep for a minute. Shout out to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation. We've got Dave M. We've got George J., I, I actually, Who's that? You know what? That's too obvious. Let's say G Jabor. <laughs> GJ. Jabor. And we have Stephen P. Thank you, thank you, thank you for becoming citizens of the nation. That's right. And we sent also I sent out a bunch of international shipments this week. I I found a more efficient way to get all my international stuff out, all those customs forms. So a bunch of those went out this week. Who knows how long it takes for stuff to get to like literally the other side of the world. We've got stuff going to New Zealand, Australia, you know, all of our Scandinavian friends should be getting some stuff. Uh, I've been trying to keep track of like the most interesting places where we have uh, patrons and I think that, you know, the furthest flung reaches so far, I think, are the, what is, what's the, what's the area around New Zealand called? I'm never going to remember. Oceania? Yes. Thank you. Oceania. Yes. So if you want to, oh yeah, we have no, no increased tiers, no new reviews this week. If you want to get into our reviews, you can do so on your Apple podcast. You can also leave comments on, I think the mobile version of Spotify. I'm not sure on the desktop. I don't know how this stuff works. We can read off your kind, hopefully kind things to say. If you want to be like Dave, George, Steven this week, you can go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can get some swag. You can get some cool deck boxes that we had made. Oh, maybe a year or so ago at this point. I don't even know. Wow. We've got play mats. They've been shipping all over the world. We've got cool tokens. We've got a bunch of new pins and new sticker sheet that Dave made up a few months ago. So get on the Patreon, help support us, and help get yourself some cool stuff. You can also go to the store at thedivedown.com slash store, pick up some t-shirts, fanny packs, sweatshirts, beanies, all that good stuff. Mana traders. We have had some more people on the Mana Traders wagon this month. So if you want to check out ManaTraders.com, the premier card rental service for Magic the Gathering online, you can get 10% off your first two months there with the Dive Down 23 
the dive down 23 is the code Barris Ramman, we'll talk about them later, but of course you get 15% off your order there with the dive down 23 and our friends over at NRG give you 8% off your order with the code dive eight. Shane, the people really need to know when are we going to get dive down merchandise of just cans of beans? You know, just like Never. a can of beans with the dive down logo on it. No, come oh, on, like Andy Warhol style. style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what would be nice is if the beanstalk made bean tokens, because then mm. we could have a new yeah. token style, a little bean. Would that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if we had a bean token? Then I'd have an excuse to make another one. Stanislav, Shane, get us into this breakdown, my friend. All right, so I wanted to kick off with a brief tournament report because, you know, one of the angles to last week's episode was that George and I were both prepping for RCQ weekend, and I played an RCQ, modern, with rhinos, and I did all right. Nice. But I did not win. Mm. Therefore, I lost. If you ain't first, you're last, buddy. Basically, yeah. That actually doesn't make any sense, does it? (laughs) No, it actually doesn't. (laughs) I think that's the point. <laughs> I love I, I love that film, by the way. Yeah, like, it's great. Tyler literally, Dignite's rules. It's a good the, one. The opening shot of like the Eleanor Roosevelt quote is just like nonstop hilarious. <laughs> Anywho, guys, I came in fourth place. I made top eight out of I think it was forty two players. I finished in fourth. And uh I technically went undefeated in the Swiss. Oh yeah, I mean nothing. What's what's good about mid-sized tournaments is the like winning like three straight out, and you're just like, well, if I just draw, I'm good. Yeah, well, I drew round one unintentionally, uh, and <laughs> yeah, and then I had to really? win. Then I had to win four, and then which I did, and then I got to draw ID in the finals. In the final drawing round, round. drawing round one is the worst too because now you're just in the control bracket all day. You know you you know you're going to play against <laughs> beans and all these like the fairy control decks. In fact, I did play against beans once, one time. Um, what did you draw against round one? Tron. Huh. Interesting. It was okay. I'm it, just going to ask now: Is yeah. this a game that you should have conceded like round two or something like that and went to round three? Well. I did concede the game I lost, if you know what I mean. Like, I won a game, I lost a game when it was... Like, I concede when it's obvious. I'm not Mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. stringing games out. I have better things to do. Um, Certainly the case against Four Color. Like, there was a point when the Four Color opponent had, like, beans on the board and a Renin (laughs) Six and and an Omnath. And I'm like, there's no point in me doing this. (laughs) My man. They were ephemerating solitudes. I'm just like, I have I have a better chance of winning if I concede. And that's exactly what yeah. happened. But no, right. I so I, I lost yeah, tell us about your day. I uh sure, I'll tell you about my day. I came in fourth place. So basically <gasps> I beat mono black coffers despite Doom telling us that uh he's very favored against the matchup. I just knew not to bring in Blood Moon and that was good enough for me. You, you know See? what you know what was actually the secret? To beating coffers, casting hard casting Lorian revealed twice in one game and drawing six yeah. cards. That seems okay. Yeah, that makes sense. The games go pretty long, so yeah, yeah. that does make sense. Yeah, and did you see coffers uh, in their deck? I actually played against co- like cofferless coffers recently because I think people are kind of saying like you don't really need coffers that much, but 
You know, come to think of it, maybe I didn't see coffers in retrospect. I, it may have just been like mono black. Karn. Karn and ring and shieldreds and stuff. Yeah. Typically, when they have Karn, that's kind of a dead giveaway that they do have coffers. Maybe they just didn't draw it because I've seen versions of like the mono black mid range deck that Spike was playing, but it's it's kind of hard to justify Karn if you don't have the mana generation from coffers. Mm. That's a good point, too, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was cool. I beat Abzan Samwise in, in two. That was nice. That was, you know what I love about these comp tournaments is like as soon as I get a 2-0, it usually means I have 20 minutes to grab lunch. And that's what I do. Like I, I just get the heck out of the LGS, find the nearest like kebab hut and get a stick of meat. Perfect. Yeah. I beat Four Color Money Pile with Beans. Thanks to a well-played Blood Moon. So satisfying. When when they're not fetching around Blood Moon, it's game three. They're not fetching, and I'm on the play, so I, I keep mm. the Blood Moons in. They're not fetching around Blood Moon, and I like played it so beautifully because I didn't <laughs> I didn't jam it on three. I had to I actually had to slow roll it a little bit and I played it on four. And as soon as I cast it, like everyone around us knew I won. But they you saw the light out for a couple drained turns. out of their eyes. Yeah, yeah. You just like tomahawk chopped it through the table. Mm-hmm. Just, just throw it at them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, mine are full art, so I, you know, I don't want them to tear them apart. Yeah, you, you took them out of uh, like the, the screw down card protector. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then finally in round five, I also 2 owed against Scam, which was really satisfying because, you know, I went into this tournament worrying about the scam matchup i think most people would agree scam is probably the best deck in the format it's very scary of course and the turn one grief play can sometimes feel game winning and game one they turn one griefed me and i still recovered and i won with three life it was incredible and i've also heard anecdotally that one of the reasons that rhinos is still like clinging onto its position in the metagame is because it has a scam, a good scam matchup. And I just like yep. felt that in a way that I'd never felt before. Subtlety, Fury, and and Flame of Anor were all just like such hot draws. The most important part about the matchup is you have eight cards in their deck. Like, you know, they're going to thought to use grief you, what, what have you, in the first couple of turns. But as long as you just make your land drops, you are like the, the second you draw a cascade spell, it just everything turns around from there. And I think that's why, like you mentioned, Rhinos has a, a decent, I think, a decent matchup against Scam. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I think helped me in game one, I was on the play, always, always a good start. And I was able to <laughs> uh, cascade or, or suspend Rhinos on turn one. And I think yep. red, black, X mid-range decks, like whose primary interaction is Thoughtseize effects or burn or point removal for that matter, like turn one cascading or just like anytime you can really suspend um, rhinos, like it's always a pretty good play as opposed to something like Merktide where you never want to do that because then they just see it coming and will always blow you out somehow. Yeah, but... The- that's the thing about that matchup is like that the best cards to have in your opening hand against scam are exactly that just like the footfalls because it's so hard for them to interact with 
And, you know, there's like a lot of people seem to think that, you know, with Rhino specifically, you want to mulligan to a Cascade spell. But in that type of matchup, you're much better off just having like I'd rather keep, you know, a six land hand with the crashing footfalls, because if you're on the play and you go suspend footfalls and they grief you and you just have a bunch of lands in hand, then they're like, okay, well, now I have to cast my not dead after all, but I'm not getting anything out of it. And yeah, that's that that's kind of how you have to play that matchup. Oh, that's that sounds nice. I actually heard CCR mention something similar on on their show. Like, you kind of just want to keep hands with as many lands as possible. And I hadn't heard that ahead of the RC or the RCQ. And you know, I was just trying to keep serviceable hands with as many cards as possible, basically. But I think that's a really good piece of advice. Just land heavy hands are good against scam, surprisingly, or at least at least in Rhinos and maybe in, in other decks too. All right, um, top eight. In the quarters, I beat the mirror, which I always historically struggle against, but I did it. Good. Did you win the die roll? I did. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I did. Yeah, round one or game one, I just um, basically had more cards than they can interact with. Game two, it was the flip where like I kept an interaction heavy hand. They kept like two or three cascaders and they just like ran me out of cards effectively and then game three was actually the most interesting one where we were swapping interaction and i i I think i actually just won game three in that round because i had double mystical dispute and i was able to juke their force of negations um and Mm -hmm. winning like one or two counter wars in particular thanks to double mystical Mm -hmm. dispute just kind of like got me there all right finally let's get to the semis where the dream died it did go to Three games, but I ultimately lost to Jeskai Breach. What a good deck, and what a tough matchup. They have so many ways, so many angles to like fight you. They've got the combo plan, they've got Karnstrucks, they've got Ragavan, they've got just like Teferi to blow up your your plan. It, it was just like, I didn't feel like I was practiced enough against that deck in particular. Yeah, seems bad. And I hadn't played in a long time. And I had played it before at an NRG and won, and I just kind of had probably this false sense of security. Because you kind of have, like, a lot of cards that are good against them, main and post-board. But you, for me, for me, I I felt like I was sort of, like, in this position of choice paralysis, where it's like, which sideboard cards are actually going to do the most amount of work? Like, am I playing Endurances, or am I playing Blood Moons, or am I playing something else? I don't know. Um, and what really stung, and I'll be honest, like, this this was a painful loss, was I ultimately lost to a big Karnstruct. And my opponent beat me by swinging with a Karnstruct and a Ragavan. And when the Ragavan connected, they exiled a Boseju. And that Boseju would have gotten me out of that situation. And now I'm just kind of like reliving this nightmare of like, if I could have just gone one card deeper that game, Mm. it may have been a very different outcome. And I know like sometimes you have to take your medicine, but I'm not going to pretend like I'm happy about it. The breach deck is so weird. Like you mentioned, it's it's really hard to attack from one specific uh, specific angle because their deck is so good at doing so many different things. You know, they have the saga game plan, they have turn one ragavans, and then you have to not only be able to keep up with all of that, but then you also have to just stop them from killing you the turn they go for you know breach plus plus um, 
grinding station. I think for me, the most important part of that matchup is tempo. So you want to just like, you know, your your normal draws, just the fire ice and the cascade spell. And then the free interaction, I think, is probably the best like endurance and force of vigor, just because you need to be able to apply pressure while still interacting with them. That's interesting. So you like endurance, force of vigor and force negation against them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd probably just cut some of uh, it kind of depends on your flex slots. Like I'd probably cut the furies. I think Fury's not that great against them. Maybe can trim on. It really depends. Like the subtlety, subtlety is not very good against yeah, them. Yeah. So subtlety was stuff. like the, the one obvious card to me to to cut. They, this person also played the one ring, so I brought in my questing beasts because that's just kind of like whenever I see one ring, I just default to bring in questing beast. Again, like I don't know how correct or not that is. I will say questing beast was pretty good over the course of the day. And not only against one ring decks, though I always brought it in against those, but I brought it in against scam because like when they're furying you and and fatal pushing all your creatures, it is nice at a certain point to just have like a hasty big threat that trades with anything and can sometimes even be hard to kill. But sample size was still small. I don't know if Questing Beast is the truth, but it it worked the handful of times I, I was able to cast it. And therefore, it's good. It's uh, use a couple times. It's good. Then you're, you're good to go. Let's be, let's be Roddy. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I do want to talk about Questing Beast a little bit because one thing you said, I think, last week, I think post-tournament when we were talking about things, Stan, or maybe it was during this past week, you were like, you're saying that you, th- you think it's, and I don't want to, argue about this but you're like i think this is like sort of good on rate and i don't really i don't necessarily agree with that i think it's like you know like a 3.34 uh mana value worth of card you know what i mean um but i think in terms of the f- the flexibility it offers right now i mean i guess it's not that flexible it's just sort of like you said it's like what it's a it's an expensive haste creature that also lets them go shields down or think they're going like shields up rather when they have the ring. And so just having a little bit of equity there where they sort of have to make you have it. And then if you do, it is what you can have to win. I think you, sometimes you set to have those cards, right? Where it's like, if I have this, I, I, I do win. And so just having it in your 75 is valuable. Yeah. The, the way that I kind of look at it is it's really good if you can follow up a cascade spell with it, because typically the play pattern is they're on the play. They have their turn three. They do whatever you play your shardless agent. They play their ring thinking that, OK, well, you know, if you've gotten some chip damage before, they're shocking. And then it's that one turn window. So you just you just slam this. They take 14. And then even though they're probably not dead that turn, you've dealt them so much damage. And then plus the ring, you know, ring triggers that they're very likely to die from that point. The one thing I will say, my kind of my biggest issue with specifically Questing Beast is against Beans because they have Solitude. So if you, they tap out mm-hmm. for Ring, you Questing Beast them, you attack, they Solitude, your Questing Beast, you don't get any damage that turn. That's, so that's that's the one issue. Yeah, or like late game, um, it they they put it, they play it with like four mana and then they have like white mana up and they just can lay a line binding it because there are four or five colors and stuff like that. So there's a lot of stu- stupid instant speed interaction the free spells. Yeah, so it's just like the 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 mana equity can really inequity can really be there with a four mana creature. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like you you put a lot of 
you put a you put one piece of cardboard, but a, a whole turn of mana into it, and it can be invalidated for free or extremely cheap with one of the more popular decks right now. It didn't seem like you Stanislav in, in the room and in, in the UK. I don't know, but the weird the it's a real burn meta out there. The was there a lot of like four and five color Omnath stuff in the room? Not that I gathered. No, I didn't notice a lot of double of decks. Like I think there was like maybe three scam artists if that at least two maybe three but it's also the case that like the room thinned out over the course of the day yeah so kind of an lgs meta because kind of yeah. a lot of different stuff people playing their decks some good decks there were, you know what there was two of there were two stands in the room and uh i played against the other stand and that was my mono black opponent the stand we, mirror <laughs> the stand mirror that's right i want to i want to talk about two other cards real quick before handing it over to Devin, because I know Devin has some rhino thoughts as well. Flame of Anor. Amazing. Ama- amazing card. I always cited in the third, I, th- I think. Um, but even if I didn't side in the third, I never cited in any of the, the two that I played main. It's just, it's just always good. Like it always does something. Drawing two um, is, is like the best fail safe. The fact that it just like deals with any type of hate people might play against you is fantastic. And the, the fact that it deals five to a creature, there's hardly anything in the format that is bigger than that. Um, and I didn't play against Murktide specifically. I didn't play against unusually big Tarmogoyfs. So just like being able to kill Shieldreds or opposing Rhinos or, or big old Furies with 1-1 counters on them, it just felt like this is the best addition to the deck in a long time like i, I kind of think flame of Anor is a better addition to the deck than lorwyn revealed even though lorwyn revealed is obviously like amazing and i'm always going to play it i think flame of Anor does more for different matchups whereas lorwyn revealed is kind of just like this nice glue piece that helps your subtleties and and force negations be a little bit more consistent discuss i also let you run fewer lands you know what i mean which is really important i think too right i, I guess yeah <laughs> Well, the, the the most important part about it is you're cutting lands for blue cards, which means yes. that you're not losing equity on forces and subtleties. So, yeah, that's that's really the most important part. And if you're playing, you know, one or two copies of Merktide, it, it helps fuel those too. True. And and you get to draw three cards a few times, like Stan said he did. Oh yeah. The la- the last card I want to bring up, Blood Moon, maybe bad. I don't know. Like I mentioned that it won me a game, but that was just the one game. There were other times where I had it in hand and I just could not cast it because it was impossible for me to fetch around it. And then it was just like uncastable and felt like it might be a liability right now in modern. Yeah, I mean, the Blood Moon for me, you know, because I played a lot of Blood Moon decks and against a lot of Blood Moons, right? It's just like, I, I think it really is for me heavily meta dependent. And also potentially you're like local meta dependent. And that's hard to know. Like if I was going to an NRG right now, I would fully expect it to be like 15% four and five color Omnath decks. Do you know what I mean? And I'd just be like, mm-hmm. yes, I'm having three blood moons, you know, probably in my 75 at least. Right. Just because I know that it's going to have equity and the type of thing also, but it's, you know, you look at the list of the modern meta game and it's like, it has, you know, Amulet Titan still in the top eight to ten decks. Tron still in the top eight to ten decks. There's the Omnath decks. There's you know, but then it's not good against stuff like Rakdos. 
It's not good against Footfalls Mirrored unless, I mean, if they don't play around it, it can be. Murktide Regent, no. Hammer Time, eh, okay. It's pretty good against Hammer. What, what, is, what is your thought about uh, Blood Moon against Hammer, Devin? Hmm. I mean, I think I'd bring it on the play, but not the draw. Because yeah. it is yeah. pretty important at not only stopping their sagas, but also ink moths. Yes. So I think I, I think I think it's fine on the play, but not on the draw. The one thing about like Blood Moon in particular that like specifically with the Pro Tour, what we kind of saw a lot of the Rhinos decks do is cut it for Charmaw. And mm, I think yeah. part of the reason is people expected like the decks that Blood Moon is good against, like Tron, uh, Amulet, stuff like that. They will be they will come prepared with you know Force of Vigor, Besaju, what have you. So being able to just have the the you know guaranteed land destruction spell. And the other kind of note is the Tron decks at the Pro Tour specifically, like the Handshake Tron list. They're much better at fighting against Blood Moon, where they yeah. have like more ways to cycle, they have talismans, they have, you know, stuff like that. So I think in a general sense, right now, I'd probably rather be on Charma, but it's it's really close. Hmm. Is Charma good against four color, though? No, no. But <laughs> see, the thing is, is like, I don't even know that Blood Moon's that good against four color, because like, I think a lot of the four colors that I've seen have had, like, not only they have one of each basic, but they also have Celestial Purge. So if yes. they can just fetch the basic planes, they just, you know, fire off the purge on turn two and then move on, move on about their way. Mm -hmm. So I think that just attacking their mana in a general sense is probably not where I'd want to be. And if I was targeting four color specifically, I'd want to just max out on dispute. I think dispute's the best card against four color. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I sort of walked away thinking like it might be worth cutting the blood moons just to play Leyline Binding again and just accepting that like there's something to be said about having access to Ardent Plea for more consistent turn three cascades and, and maybe even like a post-port to Fairy from time to time for the Mirror um, or Living End, which is a really tough matchup and does still pop up from time to time. So overall, good tournament. I'm, I'm pleased with the quality of my play overall. It did sting to lose. Devin, like, you know, you... You graciously I've, talked about. I've been about, there, done that. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm just like, how, how do you rebound beyond just like sleeving it back up and and running it back? Because it's like the fact that you were able to make two finals in a row is impressive in and of itself. And while I have made the top eight of three of the last RCQs that I've played, like I can't help but feel like my my luck is going to run out. And I and I haven't gotten past the semis. I haven't been able to make the finals yet. It's a it's a really tough question to answer, and I will say so. Let's go back to the very first RCQ season. I think this was Dallas twenty twenty two or something. Whatever yeah. the first RCQ season. It was, was last summer. It was summer of last yeah. year. Was the first one. Yeah, yeah, last summer. And I think I played thirteen RCQs during that season. That's where I went like the the absolute hardest. And I think I top aided eight of them and not a single win but i mean it's like it's you just you have to trust the process you know like you you did you all that you did this testing and theorizing and you came to these conclusions for a reason and you just kind of have to trust yourself and believe that you what you're doing is is accurate and you know the other thing to look at is look upon those matches to see if there was anything you could have done differently you know i have part of part of what i do in my off time is like i'll go back and i'll watch some of my mtgo like vod reviews or vod replays and just like if if i have a match in my head i'll write it down and be like i want to watch that later and see if there's anything i could do differently um 
obviously different to do in paper. You can't really go back and watch the VOD of paper matches, but that's, that's kind of the thing. It's just like seeing if they're recognizing mistakes is, is, is something, but as far as just, you know, dealing with the not being, not, not winning the tournament, it just, you know, you just, you'll get them next time. That's, that's kind of how I look at it. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are some more coming up in the, in the month of October specifically. So and I, I want enough store credit that I can just play two more RCQs at this at Harlequin specifically for free. So I go. might as well just fire those bullets. I think this is just another good time, you know, to remind yourself that even the best, the very best players don't have the you know win rates that would make you super happy. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like I'm winning sixty to sixty five percent of my matches at best, and I live, eat, breathe, sleep magic. You know some of the some of the players, some of the best players. It's just their entire career, right? And I think it's like just a good time to be like, look, what's what can I really expect here? Can I can I play my best? Can I learn? Can I you know, go deep in a few tournaments in a row and then feel happy about that. And then, you know, then once in a while, the, the weighted coin will flip in your favor more often and, and stuff will, will all come together. I think it's just like, like you said, it's like just a, I don't, I don't love this visual metaphor because it, it involves firearms, but uh, you know, fire some bullets. Right. And you're mm-hmm. not going to, you're only going to hit the target once in a while with magic. Just think think about it this way before before we get before we continue. Nathan Stoyer, world champion, went one and four at world champion at the world championships this weekend. Everybody's human, you know. Even even Nathan mm. Stoyer loses games of magic sometimes. So Well, maybe he's just not the best player in the world anymore. And someone else is. Is it you? <laughs> yeah, maybe it's me. Could be. We don't know. Devin, I do want to hear what you've been doing with Rhinos, because you mentioned that you've been back on the horn dog train. And you've always been a, an inspiration to me. <laughs> so I haven't, been, I will say I haven't been playing as I haven't been playing as much, but I have been kind of theorizing and thinking about what my list would look like. Cause I do have uh, this as a consideration for an RCQ next weekend. That's going to be the first one of this season for me. Uh, still deciding between this and coffers, not sure which one I'm going to play, but just to kind of like, I, I guess we could go over the list here. As far as the flex bots are concerned, uh, we can we can kind of assume that the core of the deck, at least for, for in my eyes, for the the teamer version, is the eight cascade spells, the four force negations, the I think at this point Lorien is X four is standard. I think we can we can call that in the stock four footfalls, four fire eyes. And personally, I, I see people trimming on dead gone. I still think you want to be on four copies. Um, so I think I would include that in the core. So as far as if you, if you want to put that as the core, the rest of my flex bots. So if we just count down, it's one, two, three, four, five, eight, uh, nine, 11. And then I guess the 22nd land, sometimes people play 22. So those 11 flex bots right now for me, I have a bone crusher giant and a questing beast. These are kind of my main deck concessions to the one ring. And we were talking about Questing Beast earlier, how I wasn't as big of a fan of it against the Solitude decks. And that's kind of where I like Bonecrusher Giant, because very similar where you go the Cascade spell, they play the ring. And then even if they have Solitude, you just stomp one of your rhinos, they take 10 or they have to Solitude a rhino. They're still even even in that exchange, they're still taking six damage. They're down to Solitude and you're, you're getting in some some pressure that way. Past that, I have I only have three subtleties. I've seen four. I think I think I like three. It's still good against the four color decks because they have Teferi and Omnath, but 
it is people tell me that subtlety is good against scam but every time I have subtlety in my opening hand and I'm just like, they pitch grief, I pitch subtlety, we're both down two cards, I still don't feel ahead in that exchange. Do you guys feel the same way? Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I think subtlety is, is best when you hard cast it. Yeah. More so than the other evoke elementals where like pitching them feels fine. But because subtlety is just, a, it's, a, it's a yield sign. It's not really a stop sign. I find that like I don't want to subtlety their their scam plays. I want to subtlety their their mid game plays more than anything. For sure, and I think one of the issues with you know countering uh, like a grief opening right with a subtlety is like one like you said, Santa's. It's basically for scam. It can put them down. Like they might not have another card to pitch to it, and they're not going to necessarily get the. Uh, they don't. They they won't have the reanimation type spell, right? But they still have the card. And one of the issues with just mulliganing with this deck is you're like, well, I need to have some kind of. Well, I, more often than not, I'm going to want to have a cascader in my opening hand. I'm going to want to have hopefully like two lands or like a Lorian revealed and a land at worst, right? So it's mm -hmm. just like the the density of cards you sort of have to have is sort of taken up where it's just like, okay, I'm going to have a subtlety, a card to pitch to it, a cascader, a couple lands and like, you know, some other random card that'll show up there. And so, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out and you're like, well, like you said, it's like subtlety is a better sort of late game card or against real big haymakers, like against Tron or something like that sometimes. Yeah. And, and like, I also, I think it's worth pointing out that like subtlety got popular as Lorwyn revealed got more popular. Yep. And I think that like subtlety in a way makes Lorwyn better too. True. And obviously subtlety is like, it's good and, and has been playable before Lorwyn revealed was printed. I think that the two go hand in hand in such a way that you might as well just play both. And one without the other leaves a little bit to, to be desired. Right. Yeah. It was just like, it's, it seemed kind of very immediate where people prior to the pro tour, I remember a lot of the rhinos list, most of the subtleties were in the sideboard. And then a lot of the pro tour list, like at least the people who like the, the pro tour teams who tested that played rhinos, a lot of them had the subtleties main deck. And it just kind of seemed that there was just immediate shift where that was just stock. And I think part of that had to do with the Pro Tour lists were tuned for a very specific metagame. They expected a lot of Tron. They expected a lot of other maybe big mana decks. And I don't necessarily think that they played subtlety. Like, if you expected the most popular deck in the room to be scam, which I guess on average you probably should be, do you want a main mm -hmm. deck three or four subtleties? Probably not, because I don't think it's... It's not a card that you always want in your opening hand against scam. Um... Is kind of my, my theory on it. Past that, just the, the rest of the flex spots, I have two Furies. A, another one that a lot of, you know, a lot before the Pro Tour, a lot of Furies, three or four was kind of standard. And then after the Pro Tour, it seemed like people just went down to one. Uh, I'm still on two because I think it's really good against some specific openings. Mm, it's good I, against everything. Yeah, it's like you could you could go to three. And the cool the cool part about it is even if they like, grief scam you on turn one and you just they leave you with a red card and you rip a fury you're totally happy pitching your red card to kill their grief because you're both kind of down roughly the same number of cards and you're not dying to their grief so i, th I think i like two copies but it's not a card you want to draw a ton of uh one merc tide i only have 
one Flame of Anor, which I've been going back and forth on. I just, I think I started with three. I went down to two. Now I'm down to one. Considering going back up to two, you might be convincing me a little bit, Stan. <laughs> but the, the card's really good. Dude, you should try the two and then think about whether you want to play the three. I, it's it's so good. It's always so good. Did you play the Mutaball too? I played two. Well, I played two Flame, two Mutaball. Like and then two, I have the third okay. Flame in the side. I'm not playing the double forest. Gotcha. Because I, I don't have a main deck questing beast. The double forest seems a little unnecessary to me personally. Yeah, that that's kind of a big point of contention is, first of all, the number of flames versus the number of Muta Vaults. When I, I think it was Kai's, it was Kai that was the person who I saw that did this first with the, or maybe it was somebody after Kai, but they had two Muta Vaults and I think three flames. And I tried to list. I think it was a, a, a an up and comer called Luis Scott Vargas. Was it LSV? Was he, yeah, yeah, he posted the channel Fireball. Article, article. Right? Yeah, okay. That's what yeah. it was. And that list had, I think, two Muta Vault, one Cavern. But I was like, I really don't want to be sacrificing Gemstone Caverns for additional copies of Muta Vaults. And I had always sworn by two Gemstone Caverns main. I know some people like one main, one board, but I think it's, you know, and. In this list, I have one main, one board, and maybe I'll go back on that. But the the basic gist of it is you don't want to play a ton of colorless lands because when you're on the play, your caverns don't do anything. And if you ever open a hand on the play that has cavern mutavault, you, you can't keep that. You know, you you can't cast yeah. your spells that way. So I'm going with the split. Uh, two disputes main that I think I see a lot of people still playing three or four. It, it is good against four color, but it's so bad. It's bad enough against scam that I don't want to main deck a ton of copies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like the look of this list. Yeah, I, I, I think we should probably veer off Rhinos. Sure. I do just have one question about one card. Okay. Commandeer. Mm. When, how, why? Uh, everywhere. No, I'm just kidding. Not everywhere. But against Tron, it's the nuts. You take their Karn. You win the game. Uh, against, even in the mirror match, like if you're in the mirror and they go turn three Shardless Agent, you're just like, yeah, I'll take that. And then you just go from there. So good against Tron, good against the mirror. Past that, I mean, I do bring it against four color because it's good against the ring. That's kind of what it's mainly there for. Hmm. They play their ring and you're just like, yeah, I'll take that. So Tron, four color, mirror. I like it a lot. It's a spicy one of. Yeah, I want to. I definitely want to test with that card as I, I bought I bought some when they got reprinted in like Commander Masters or whatever, and they were like briefly a dollar fifty, and I was just like, well, let's just get a playset. And that was financially worth it. I don't know if it's actually gameplay equity worth it, but I'll take both. All right, my friend Stanislav, one uh, good work. Keep at it. Thanks. I know you're gonna you're gonna keep going to these events. There's some in Denver, like in a couple of weeks that I'm really trying to get on my schedule. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you all know what I'm doing. And Devin, I think this this is the kind of list that I'm into. I would never play two forests, but um, that's just me. But it makes sense. I see why. But long story short, this is a very long Rhinos intro, so I hope you all like Rhinos, but we do have some other stuff for you that Devin doesn't like, and we'll take a a quick (laughs) high-protein legumes. Yes, they they have funny labels. They come in a variety of dry and canned versions, so stay with us, and you'll hear more about your favorite beans. Love. Shane. Stan, are we going to talk about 
Barris Man products again this week? I think that people have heard enough from us. Oh. They need some outside perspective. That's a good point. So I think we're both looking at the same page. I was I looked we're on I the looked same at page. the, the <laughs> we are on the same page both website and mentally. I'm I'm looking at the best sellers. I thought it would be interesting to highlight some of the best sellers at Barrister and Man in terms of overall sense, right? And I'm not sur- surprised by this at all because I'm seeing Seville. I'm seeing Bay Rum. I'm seeing the Grand Chipra. I'm seeing Waves. I'm seeing Mirror Wood. All scents that we have used and liked in the past. But you know what? Maybe the best sellers, maybe you need more of a story. And if you go on Barrister and Man, you can actually see people leaving detailed reviews oh, yeah. of their own experience with buying Barrister and Man products. Did you know that scent, uh, wet shave people are interesting? They're enthusiasts. They like talking about this stuff. Things like the Howl's Aftershave Splash. Five stars as recently as September 24th. That's today. Atomic Holiday <laughs> Aftershave Splash. Five stars. Like it. Great deal. Nice spicy pineapple citrus scent. Those are not my words. That was someone named Sean wrote two days ago. Oh, thanks, Sean. Yeah. I'm looking at some Seville reviews. And I've tried a few barbershop scented soaps and Barrister and Man is the one I think leaves my face the most moisturized. Awesome stuff. I can't believe how good it is to shave with. Here's, I think, my actual favorite review. Yes. It's for the Cootie Killer Liquid Hand Soap. Okay. Five stars just from a week ago. This hand soap works great and is dispensed just enough at a time. So this (laughs) bottle should last a good while. Brilliant. I would never have thought of that, but that's a really good point. Like, you don't want hand soap to overdo it or not do it enough. <laughs> you got to kill those cooties, bruh. But what's you know impressive, I think, all o- overall is that people love this stuff. Like, you know, these are enthusiasts, right? Like, these people buy lots of different shaving soaps frequently, aftershave splashes. Like, everything is like five stars, 4.9 stars. You can look at what people are saying and how they like all of this stuff over at Barrister and Man, M-A-N-N.com. And when you pick out some stuff to purchase, you can use our coupon code, which is the Dive Down 23 for 15% off your first order over at Barrister Man. My friends, we are back and in something like a we did it for science type episode, at least myself and Stan, because I don't think Devin would, would stoop so low as to play this, we played some Omnath beans control or five color omnath shane there were no omnath in my deck that's not acceptable or or just just beans or whatever you want to call it then so devin's leaning back (laughs) well away from the mic uh i see myself reflected in his framed uh john avon art yeah that's that's really weird don't put anything else on your screen that you want me to see while you're leaning back. Um, so this deck has been on the rise, right? It's really popular. It's the second most played deck in the last month on Goldfish behind, of course, good old Scam. And if you don't know about this deck, then count yourself lucky. But it really takes two primary forms or three if you're nasty. And that's a secret version 
we'll get to later. So the first is really just like Omnath ring control uh, as we knew it, and it just adds up the beanstalk. And up the beanstalk, if you forget, is a one of the green enchantment. When it ETBs, you draw a card. Whenever you cast a spell with mana value five or greater, you draw a card. Seems innocuous. We've talked about this card before. The general idea is you draw a bunch of cards if it stays on the board. You know, you cast your Solitude, you cast your Furies, your Leyline Bindings. Those are the most usual kind of five mana value cards that trigger this. Even when they're cast via Evoke, even when they're cast through mana reduction of Domain, even if they're cast without paying their mana value, which we can talk about later. Uh, you know, additional newer inclusion people seem to be running are like some number of time warps. You know, the three blue, blue sorcery take an extra turn. You know, what's funny is depending on your thoughts here, though, you're like, well, what are you replacing with Beanstalk? You might not replace anything with Beanstalk. You might just add the Beanstalk because you're just drawing through your deck that much more quickly. And for that reason, some people are even adding additional cards just to like not deck themselves. That seems less frequent recently. I see more kind of tailored deck lists, just more down to like 75, 78 type cards. So we'll see how people keep developing this. The second type of these Beanstalk decks are the Bring to Light Omnath decks. It uses Bring to Light as a tutor card to cast for like four or five mana, you pull out, well, you always pay five mana, five different colors, rather. You pull out your Elish Norn, you, uh, Mother of Machines, you pull out a Supreme Verdict, a Time Warp, an Omnath, a Valky God of Lies. So, you know, you play the flip side because of the way that interaction works. And so what's cool about this is Bring to Light triggers your Beanstalk. And it also gives you a potential another trigger if you get a five mana card with it that you're then casting for free. And so that's pretty good. Um, and But these Bring to Light decks are kind of more control. Like they're eschewing Fury, they're eschewing Lightning Bolt, and they're playing more like sort of traditional control decks. Like they have the counter spells, they have more counter magic in the board that is more efficient. You, know, you have that tutor ability of Bring to Light to like sweep the board with your Supreme Verdict, and you have another one in the side typically just to make sure that you can uh, clear the board when needed. And so those are kind of the big two that I've seen right now. Stan has a cheeky third secret version that we we caught wind of and we will get to but i think what i think is that you know beanstalk isn't really i think what i think is that beanstalk is not changing the way that four color omnath was playing in any real way it's just drawing more cards and you're like well that's great i love drawing more cards i also enjoy drawing more cards it's never a bad thing i, I think it does more than just draw more cards it, it kind of evens out the Two for oneing that you're doing to yourself when you're pitching cards to to solitude. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I, I guess, I would summarize that as I am drawing more cards, but I entirely agree, <laughs> right? Where it's like early, if if I play an early beanstalk and then I need to start interacting with the board like a solitude, then I'm replacing that solitude really efficiently, or like the and the or the card I'm pitching to solitude is like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite feeling as down in those exchanges, right? Mm -hmm. So, Stan. I've just talked for a sure. while. I think, yeah. why don't you, why don't you tell me about your, your, the, you refuse to put notes in the, in the show notes, which always drives me up the wall because I'm just like, <laughs> I have no idea what Stan's going to talk about. I have no, no way to plan for this. I have no to listen in. intently. Yeah. I think this might be a dive down first. What's so, that? So yes, Shane, you know, 
as you said, you actively dislike it, and you very politely made this reasonable request that I include the note so that you can feel prepared, and I still said no. Oh, I know. Just, just for this particular moment. And that's to say, I, I played Beans in Cascade in Standard. Oh, no. I'm... I'm I'm turning off my my audio recording. We're definitely getting canceled. Here. We're definitely getting canceled. <laughs> do 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 do. Get out there and don't play standard. I just look. I just I I I have played uh, Omnath before. I once registered a four color Omnath deck for an RCQ last summer, and um, I you know I played like the weird. Um, that version of Four Color Omnath that was making the waves because it was playing the hippo in the sideboard, that hippo companion. Remember that deck Kuga. that had like touched the spirit realm? Ugh. Bad times. And and I just, I, I couldn't put myself through that again. I also didn't see anything compelling in Pioneer. Sure. Did, did you say you played Cascade in Standard? Yeah, Shane. I mm-hmm. played Cascade in Standard. Did I, did I, did I miss it's some new Cascade rage. spells? It's all the ra- It's what the kids are doing these days. Yeah, boy, it's called Invasion of Alara. Invasion of Alara. Mm. Is this the and double is, cascade? The cascade, comma, cascade? No, it's the cascade and draw a card that you're okay. not cascading into. So, Invasion of Alara, it's a Wooburg battle, M siege. When Invasion of Alara enters the battlefield, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile two non land cards with mana value four or less. You may cast one of those two cards without paying its mana cost. Put one of them into your hand. Then put the other cards exiled this way at the bottom in a random order. So it's got like the Cascade text, effectively. And similar to the Cascade decks that we know and love, the only two mana spells you're playing main deck are not Beans. Beans is actually a sideboard card here. Um, but I did sideboard it, it in several times, so I could figure out like what it was really doing Some for the deck and just in general but the only card that you're you're cascading into here is called bramble familiar which is a new card from wilds of eldraine it's one in a green for an elemental raccoon that taps for green <laughs> and it's a two two but it has an adventure a seven mana adventure oh mm. mill seven cards then put a creature enchantment or land from among the milled cards onto the battlefield Okay, and so there, you're, you're not cheating that out. You're active, actively casting the adventure, right? Or can you cheat it? You, well, well, you're cheating out the invasion. Po- oh. Yes, you're paying five mana for a seven mana adventure, and then that seven mana adventure is getting you... Um, generally, ideally, you're getting a card called Cemetery Desecrator, which is four black black zombie, four four. When it enters... Or dies, exile another card from a graveyard, and when you do, choose one, remove X counters from target permanent, where X is the mana value of the exiled card, or target creature gets minus X minus X, where X is the mana value of the card. And what you can do there is then you can exile something from a graveyard that has mana value at least seven, remove all the counters off of Invasion of Alara to cheat cast Awaken the Maelstrom, the backside of the siege which is target player draws two cards. You may put an artifact from your hand onto the battlefield. You can create a top, or you do then create a token that's a copy of a permanent you control. Then you distribute three 1-1 counters among one, two, or three creatures you control. 
destroy target permanent and opponent controls. I think we lost Shane. So yeah, Shane. This is why I didn't put my notes in the doc. You, you knew that I would veto this. You knew that I would attempt <laughs> to hard veto this entire conversation. I also knew that you were going to be as red as you are now. How, how did okay? How did how did this deck feel? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing! I'm ready to play standard again. Sweet. That's all that. I mean, Sign that's me good. Up. I mean, it's like I can hear like you know some of our weird combo deck fiends in the Discord like you know beginning to salivate as soon as this episode drops. I'm gonna be like, well, I can do what? Yeah, yeah. It's a real deck. Um, you know, you lose to the aggro decks, but you beat the other mid range and control decks, which is fine. The mana is abysmal because it's standard, and you're playing like a bunch of triumph, so you're really slow. And then sometimes you like you have an opening hand that could still only produce two colors of mana. So you're just like either mulliganing like crazy or accepting that you lose because you have to keep a risky hand that has like a piece of removal. And yeah, you know what? It was fine and fun. And I had a nice time playing standard for the first time in I think three years. How are the beans though? (laughs) Yes. How are the beans? I just going back. I don't want to spend too much time on standard, but I will say watching the world championships this weekend, the format actually doesn't look that bad. I know yeah. standard, but it didn't look that yeah. bad. It 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 didn't look that bad. I, so I played a league. It was my first standard league ever. I've only ever previously played standard like um, cockatrice or arena. Yep. But I played I played a league with this deck, and I free rolled. I got a three two. It was there great. It was great. I never played the same deck twice. Um, it was it was a okay. 3-2 is the only record that anybody ever achieves in any league ever. That's what I've confirmed. <laughs> hey, sometimes you get 2-3. Sometimes you eat the bar. Sometimes the bar eats you. Yeah. Or vice versa. Here's what playing Beans post-board in this deck made me realize. And this is a little esoteric. And this is the, the point I want to discuss about Beans specifically. Obviously, it didn't have the same ramping effect that like a growth spiral or explore does, but there's something about it. The fact that like it procs off of these big mana cards and also draws you a card feels like it's a mana ramp deck card and it it creates this new piece of like support and synergy for ramp decks that I don't think we ever knew we would want and i guess like we have like random cards that i think they're often in red where it's like when you play or maybe they're in green too maybe maybe they're in rectos or not rectos red green whatever that color gruel combo is. yeah gruel thank you you have these cards where it's like when you play a card with like cmc4 or more draw a card but they're all they always cost like four mana or more yeah they're never worth the payoff and that's kind of the issue with these types of cards, like you mentioned, is they're always at the top of the curve, but we've never had one at this spot in the curve. Yeah. And and having this, like, it's not a ramp piece, but it's at the point on the curve where you're usually playing, like, a rampant growth that's just, like, kind of, like, fueling your engine. It just felt like, God, this, like, super powerful card that should probably be in, like, just about every ramp deck right now. Sweet. I loved it. I really liked it. I mean, playing stuff you like is the most important part of any game. As I like to remind us, besides, I mean, this is Devin's income and lifestyle and <laughs> and daily activity. But for, for most other people, it is, in fact, a game. So play things you think are fun. Oh, it's still a game for me. Good. I mean, if you can make a living at a game, there you go. 
and talking to your friends online every day, hanging out, could be worse. You guys I are mean, podcasting every day without me? Uh, yeah. I mean, you get you get your own neon sign, apparently, if you do we well enough for yourself. We weren't, so. we weren't supposed to tell Stan that, so. Sorry, Stan. <laughs> can, I, can I talk a little bit about modern? Is that okay? Or are you good? Do you have anything else to say about this? I don't want to cut you off. No, I'll just say standards back, baby. <laughs> good. Uh, I'm glad. So what I did was I played. So that wasn't my th- third version I was referring to. Stan fooled me. I thought that Stan played this this Cascade version that we saw a week or so ago that is it seems to only have Cascaders for Beanstalk, which seems a little weird. Like, I, you, you, like what, you really want Beanstalk that badly? Maybe after playing it this week, I might agree. You do want it pretty badly because it's a really good card. I played McWinsauce's list, and they recently took two four O's in a row in some prelims with this list. I think I saw the exact same, I think it's 75, uh, get a 3-1 in a really close prelim to that as well. And this is a bring-to-light version. I wanted to play it primarily because it's slightly more novel than like the traditional four color um, Nath deck that just adds Beanstalk. I people kind of, I think people kind of know what that deck is mostly about if they're interested in it at all. So this is the you know more controlling. It has counter spells. Uh, I did have to ask some close personal friends about how to cast counter spell. I think you tap <laughs> two blue lands, and I think the spell has to be on the stack. It's really don't ask me. Weird. It's really I weird. I haven't cast that card in a million years, so. Um, couldn't tell you. So, it, and this deck plays like you think it does. You you play the early planeswalkers like Ren and Six to Very Three. You interact when you need with Prismatic Ending, Leyline Binding, Solitude, Counterspell. You stabilize and generate card advantage with the One Ring and Omnath. And this one has the little bit of a wrinkle where you tutor cards when needed with Bring to Light. And you take over the long game. Devin leans back. Devin has nothing to say about this. Bring the light's cool though, Devin. Bring the light's cool. It's uh, it's. I think it's a Devin gives me the thumbs down. I think it's a cool addition. I enjoyed bring the light quite a bit because so this deck of you know of course I guess stretches into black mana a little bit. So you're able to cast bring to light for five colors and then you're able to pull things like you know a singleton time warp or a solitude if you need or an elish norn or just do like the cheaty tybalt cosmic imposter stuff for big value there and those cards are doing a lot of different things like you know elish norn's really powerful making your etb effects double up or giving you two cards off of a beanstalk hitting the board or just exiling two cards with Solitude or drawing two cards with Omnath. That's all good stuff, right? And even with four colors, casting Bring to Light gets you an Omnath if you need a creature to work with or the Supreme Verdict to clear a board or like a one ring to stabilize and get like your engine going. And like I mentioned earlier, because like it's another five mana card in your deck, it triggers Beanstalk even if you're eventually casting a lower mana value card with it, but then like if it is a five mana card, you get more triggers off your beanstalk, which just kind of feels outrageous. So it's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm casting a spell, I'm drawing a card, I'm casting something I tutored up from my deck and drawing another card. So that is sweet. A lot of cards. Sweet. Yeah, too many Beans. cards, honestly. I mean, too, I mean, for me, it was too many cards, and I'll get into that in a second. Like, so... 
these matches go long. Like my first testing with this, I was like, y'all, I just played magic for 85 minutes and I played two matches <laughs> like that. That felt like a, that's a long time for me. That's, that's bad rate. It's, that's yeah, the it's, opposite it's, of a question It's, it's not good testing rate. That's the real problem, right? Is like for, for me, like I play magic probably more than half the time is to, to make stuff to talk to you all about, right? It's like, hey, we, we're going to talk about this. I want to get some reps. I want to feel this deck out and then have something to talk to my friends about and for listeners to hopefully get, I mean, getting something from me, good luck, but you know, getting some kind of valuable information from this podcast about playing magic. So yeah, it's like, you know, you want to play magic fairly efficiently so that you get more reps. We did just tell the listeners at home how to cast counterspell though. So that is good advice. That's, that's, yeah, that's, you're right. That is valuable gameplay skill to take to your next FNM, my friends. So, but I was able to get a, a good number of matches in when prepping for this episode altogether. And part of that honestly was just enjoying myself when playing this deck. Don't tell Devin Stan. And I just wanting to go back for more games and because, you know, the deck is good, but it's, I will say it is hard to play, especially for a newbie like me, because I don't play decks like this. I don't, I don't play reactive spells. I don't, I don't like, I mean, to be entirely frank with you, it's like, I don't making, I don't like making this many decisions. Because like mm. I think you develop your decision trees and like gameplay patterns with all the different cards in here based on just like reps and skill and understanding what you're doing. And when you come in fresh to something like this, you're just like, dang, I got to figure out a lot of different lines and I have to figure out what the best thing to, to get here or to cast here or you know, how do I actually get to an end game when I have like pretty minimal threats. Because you know, McWinsauce's list is more control oriented. Like I, I think the standard Omnath four color lists are a little bit more proactive or have like more obvious finishers. Where it's like, yeah, I've got four Fury, I've got four Solitude, I've got four Omnath. Like Fury can close a game if it's left, you know, unblocked. Right? Like that's that's some good damage. And in this, this list has like. The, the creature suite is three Omnath, one Elish Norn, four Solitude, right? Nope. Like that is not, this is not beating down even on an empty board extremely efficiently. The win condition is in the mana base chain. And you, go can on. Can you find it? Are you talking about the Mistvale Plains? I am talking about the Mistvale Plains. Did I miss something here? Well, okay, so here's the thing, right? I think the idea, at least with McWinsauce's deck, because it's a lot more controlling and control-oriented, is you can imagine, you you did say you draw a lot of cards. Well, imagine you draw your entire deck, and then you have a Misfail Planes in play, and then you can't deck out, which means that your opponent decks out. (laughs) Oh my god, what a nightmare. See, like, so what I thought you were going to get at is something I put deep in the notes i think i I mean i was doing notes until like you know an hour and a half before this episode i don't expect you all to have read them deeply but the the thing about misfail planes is that in so in this deck this you know getting onto like the i don't feel like i had a lot of win cons and my my matches went long and if you're in an attrition matchup and you don't have something as obvious as like um the you know celestial colonnade the, the new version of it with Hall of the Storm Giants or whatever, right? Where it's just like, yes, I will untap my Hall of the Storm Giant and I will hit you with it. 
that seems pretty good. Uh, in fact, I think if you are new at this deck, I would suggest putting a Hall of the Storm Giant in here if you can. Maybe over hmm. the Mistvale Plains, but De Devin's line, I think, does have value if you're extremely fast. The, but what, what Mistvale Plains actually, I think, does, which is a Plains that allows you to pay white and tap it and put target card from your graveyard on the bottom of your library if you control two white permanents, right? That's what Mistvale Plains is all about. So at the end game, right, like you ostensibly will have a Leyline Binding and an Omnath, or like a Solitude and a Leyline Binding, or two Leyline Bindings, you know, whatever, you have two white permanents. You can then recycle another one of your threats that was killed earlier into your deck and then you can do things like tutor it up with brain delight if you have a brain delight in your hand right so it's like hey i'm able to get a sort of a recyclable omnath or a recyclable solitude and then actually kill my opponent hopefully right and you and you have you back that up with like you know the three or the three counter spells you have remaining or like the ley line binding that you still have in hand because you have drawn most of your deck but like i definitely did not think about that like I was too busy looking at everything on the board and just being like, okay, well, I got to remember to tap. Do I tap my one ring here? Do I, you know, make sure I tick up my, my Ren and six, make sure I tick up my Teferi three. Okay. I got And then I'm just like, you know, I'm exhausting everything. And I'm like, well, how do I actually kill my opponent? This sucks. And I really wish I had a creature land and yeah, I could have probably just recycled the Omnas that they furied out of the game earlier. Do you know what I mean? Another important one to recycle to is Valky, because when you cast Tipalt, not only does your opponent have to, well, it goes to very high loyalty, but they have to spend a lot of resources killing it. You also only have one copy. So if you're able to misfail planes that back in and then slam into the bring delight and just pull replay another tip all, it's once they've exhausted that yeah. many resources to kill the first one, it's nearly impossible to kill the second one. Yeah, this, this, that's a really good point, too, where it's like, yeah, I might be out of resources, or I might not have any big haymakers left, but uh, Valky will reveal yours to me, potentially, too. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think that that is a huge angle of this particular deck uh, in, in certain matchups, where it's just like, yo, this is this is a grinder. Like, this is a real attrition-based matchup, and you're going to have to play it like that sometimes. And that just sort of gets into a lot of the you know, challenges of this deck, which for me was, there's just so many decision points, right? And just takes a long time to learn. And th these are the same, some of these are like the same as always, right? Where it's like, what do I need to solitude? Do I want, can I wait until I can hard cast it? Do I, you know, counter the spell or wait for something more important? Shane, when did you stop liking decision heavy decks? Well, I mean, there's certain types of decision heavy decks that I think are good. Like, you know, we talk a lot about rhinos. We talked about rhinos for a half hour in this show yet again, because we love it so much. And I think rhinos has like the right amount of decisions for me. And I think typically they are, they are frequently obvious, but also near decisions, but also frequently like interesting enough that I feel I can be smart. Yeah. And in terms of my, the things that I get out of magic especially paper competition magic is not to always like, you know, I play, play a deck that makes me feel smart enough, but ultimately something like I just sort of find fun. I understand. And I enjoy sitting across the table from my opponent playing this deck. Right. And I think that's one reason that we have latched on to rhinos so much is like, I think that is a very happy medium deck in that sense. Right. Where it's like proactive and reactive it's it's thinky, but not too thinky, where I'm feeling exhausted at the end of every match, right? And I can usually get the game done in time to go have a break. 
And another nice nice thing about rhinos is it's very sequencing, like sequencing matters a lot where you have to decide, you know, what not only like what land do I fetch and when do I cycle this Lorian, but even just do I cycle this Lorian? Do I have enough land drops? Is the game going to go that long? Uh, you know, do I ice on turn two? Do I save it for their end step? Do I have, you yeah, know, there's, yeah. there's a lot of those, those small micro decisions that, yeah, that just add up and it, it, it is pretty satisfying. But with this, I mean, I, I know it sounds like I'm saying like, I want to cast lava spike and turn my goblin guide sideways, but it's, you know, I think it's what the problem with this is that, that they just add up so much and the consequences of misplays can be really severe later when, you know, like is when I bring like bring delight adds a bunch of those too, where it's like, because you're casting a super valuable tutor, it's like, well, what do you get with that? Like is Tybalt the best here is like another Omnath that like one got killed earlier and I can play a fetch land and then maybe play more cards from hand because of the mana advantage. Like, and then like you have more decisions where it's like, what do I do with all these cards I'm drawing? Like, do I need more cards? Like, yeah, well, it's like, you know, if you have the mana, yeah, sure. But it's like, you know, do I even need more cards here? Do I want to draw cards here? Like, and then what, what am I going to discard? Because you're going to be discarding the hand size more often than you think you're going to, at least if you're me. And, you know, when do I deploy these valuable threats I have? Like, I definitely, like, you know, put an Omnath out there on turn four thinking like, okay, next turn, like I'll be able to even do something more with this Omnath. And then it like eats a fury or it eats like a, a unholy heat or something like that. And you're like, well, I know I replaced my Omnath with another card, but I don't have a lot of stuff to kill my opponents. <laughs> like I really need to be able to protect my Omnath and stuff like that. Like there's just a lot of stuff that you have to think about besides. And, and I think for me, that came into play where it's like, I am not used to playing a deck where I need to protect my threats quite as much as this. Like, and so being able to protect them was more important than I think it was, or it's like, you need to back this up with a counter spell, my friend, or something like that. Or like, or be thinking about when, do, when am I going to be able to, to get another one or have something in reserve or something like that. But anyway, I, I think this deck feels really good besides the fact that it takes a long time to do it and you have to really be analytical about your play. Like you're going to go to time with this deck. You may deck yourself depending on the matchup. You just have like a lot of ways to dig into your deck and you're going to be drawing a lot of cards. And I think this deck's really intriguing and I honestly kind of want to keep learning to play it, but like the investment is so much and it's so not my style. And like, that's kind of one reason I think I want to like keep playing a little bit where it's just like, Hey, stop making it not your style and at least have some appreciation for like what it's doing. And it also, I think will help me learn where like the tension points are. Like if my opponent's doing this, what does it potentially indicate about their hand? It does it indicate like, you know, if, are they kind of desperate to stop the bleeding? Like, are they solituding something that isn't particularly you know, super lethal right now, but they're like, man, I, I can't take any more damage from like this two power creature or something like that. And they just have to suck it up rather than uh, play it on five mana. Like what does it say about the, the mana they have in hand, blah, 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 blah. Right. So I think mm -hmm. it's just like good to play decks that you don't necessarily think you want to make your new main deck. Right. 
Yeah, and in situations like that, you can kind of see like if they're if they're like you said casting a solitude that they pitch casting early that they maybe want to save till turn five. It's like, do they have a ring in hand? Do they want to preserve their life total to make sure that they can get the most amount of value out of this ring and so on and so forth? So yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I I'm kind of with you. I, I'm not a huge fan of playing decks like this myself, but it is good to kind of under to play the deck yourself to kind of understand the pressure points, the weak points, and kind of what the general curve looks like. And maybe that can help you, even if you're not going to play it yourself, that can help you when you're playing a different deck because you know what to look out for. For sure. Yeah, I, I think I think the deck is good. I think it feels good against a lot of stuff. Like, you really can come back. Like what? Like, well, uh, I think it, well, like, uh, it felt really surprisingly good against coffers. Well, you know, non-coffers, coffers, like I was able to win that matchup, I think, fairly surprisingly easy. I think anything that's like going to go mid to long, you have a lot of play against. Like, aggro can be tough because you don't, you know, you really have to ensure that you get to your early interaction to stop the initial stuff. And then if you can stabilize especially with an Omnath, of course. You, you, we know how much it sucks to go up against an Omnath with an aggressive deck, and they, they're having lands in hand. So I don't, I can, I'm not going to speak, of course, any intelligently to like deep matchup kind of spread or anything like that. But I think unless someone is like really trying to mow me down, um, I'm feeling pretty decent to have a shot. I played against like a couple like pretty land destruction style attrition decks that that was not fun because I didn't play quickly enough. And those can really be grindy because they don't usually have extremely powerful creatures and they're attacking your mana. And so it's just like not a great way to, to keep developing in the way you want. But anyway, I think it's like, I'm more honestly annoyed that, and I think you all are too, that this is something we have to think more about now and be worried about playing against more is that Omnath is, is, is still back is, is still sticking around. Cause I don't love playing against decks like this. You and me both. Yeah, no, I just pretend it doesn't exist and I'm never going to face it. <laughs> and that's been okay. <laughs> that's a good way to go about it. All right. Uh, so there's, there's our beans content. And I know Devin, you actually wrote up, I think we have a little bit of time. You mm -hmm. wrote some more explorations into prowess. Prowess. Yes, sir. In so, uh, what format? Uh, modern. <laughs> okay. <laughs> come on, come on. So yeah, uh, played a little bit of prowess this week. I wanted to try a couple different variations because, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I do have an RCQ coming up. I am, you know, considering prowess is one of the decks. I think it's ultimately probably behind Rhinos and Coffers, but I wanted to give out specifically a shot at this new gruel prowess list that I initially saw from the top eight of, I, I think it was last week's challenge or one of the challenges from last week. And it has your typical prowess fair, your, you know, Swiss spears, soul scar mages, channelers, uh, light, lightning dart. I was going to say lightning dart, lightning bolt, lava dart, manamorphose. And we're touching instead of blue, we're touching a little bit of green here for a new card questing druid, which, you know, is a card that I think a lot of people had their eye on during spoiler season. And it's even a card that has gone all the way into legacy, believe it or not. I've seen some like wow. teamer Delver decks in legacy playing questing Druid. So yeah, it's all over the place, but what it's doing here is it's trying to make a, its best, uh, Ren's resolve, reckless impulse impression. So the, the, you know, the, the idea is you're playing a lot of free spells. Like you have, 
uh, Manamorphos, which is technically free, Mutagenic Growth, Mishra's Bauble, things like that. And then you hit a couple of those off of the Questing Druid. You can cast those. But the more that I played with this card, it's kind of weird. This is not your typical Ren's Resolver Reckless Impulse. So the first time that I ever played this card was in Pioneer in the Pia decks, which is like the Boros Pia decks that played uh, four copies of Showdown of the Scalds. And I quickly realized that See, like my, my initial reaction was, oh, it's just a better version of Reckless Impulse, right? You just, you know, cut four for four, call it a day. But it's not that because you the timing restriction means you only get them until the end of the turn that you cast it, right? Until your next end step. Whereas Reckless Resolve says until the end of your next turn. So if you're casting this main phase and you hit a card that you don't have mana for, that's you're, it's gone. You can't cast it next turn compared to Reckless Impulse where you can actually do so. But this is an instant, so you could play this on your opponent's end step, and then you have a turn to use it, to use whatever you exile. It is, but the awkward part about that is when you're playing a prowess deck, you don't typically want to be casting spells on your opponent's turn, because when you have a bunch of prowess creatures in play, if you have a soul scar and a swiss spear, you don't want to you don't want to use and kind of waste the prowess trigger that you're casting the seek the beast on their turn, because then you're missing a lot of damage on your turn. So that's kind of where it gets it gets a little weird in terms of sequencing. What I kind of found myself doing a lot was just casting the creature half. So the creature half, it's not that bad. It's a two mana one one, which is you know sketching its bowmaster, but it's uh, it has the Quirion Quirion Dryad text, which is whenever you cast a non green spell, you get a counter on it. So it triggers off of uh, lava dart, lightning bolt, metamorphose, all that kind of stuff. So. At least the way that I kind of look at this card and the way that I think a lot of people should be viewing it is if it's in your opening hand and you need like if you have, you know, a, a monastery Swiss beer and you just need like an additional creature better to just play it as the creature half instead of holding it up. Because if you like, let's say you hold it up and you go, you know, seek the beast on their turn it's you you're kind of missing that whole turn of pressure and you want to as a prowess deck, you want to continuously being applying that pressure. So that was just kind of my my small note about that. And, you know, the more free spells that you play, the better it gets. So maybe there is a version that like maybe you're supposed to play Gutshot in addition to Mutagenic and Bobbles. And then you have this higher density of free spells that you can hit off of it and not be worried about casting it on turn two and, and missing up that value. So that was kind of my uh, my thoughts on that card. Just kind of a, a general note here. If you... Yeah, we talked about that, whereas you're just casting the creature half of it, I think that definitely comes up. Uh, past Questing Druid, the other green card here, the reason that we're playing green in this prowess deck is Abundant Harvest, which is kind of a, a cool card. It's it's very subtle, but very similar to like Lorien Revealed in Rhinos, where you're cutting lands for these land cyclers, because at the end of the day, Abundant Harvest, if you need a land drop, it's kind of this, it's a very similar card where you're spending one mana. Uh -huh. You name land, you're getting that land back. So it's very similar, but it's what it's doing is it, it's also giving you a prowess trigger, right? So if you have, you know, if you have a couple of prowess creatures and say you have an abundant harvest instead of a land, even if you have to hit that land drop, which you would be doing anyways, if you're cutting abundant harvest for a land, you're getting that additional prowess trigger, which is very important. And then, you know, later in the game, uh, if you need to hit spells, if you have you know, three mana in play, you can cast it, hit a two mana spell, still be able to cast that, so on and so forth. So a very subtle thing. 
Um, but it is, you know, a, another reason to be playing green uh, as opposed to blue. Now, granted, I don't think any of this is better than expressive iteration. Well, I'll, I'll, mm. I'll say that up front. You know, I think the blue red prowess decks probably still have my uh, my pick for prowess deck of choice. But it was interesting to kind of explore this out. And then Underworld Breach cards broken, especially in this deck <laughs> where it's it's so absurd because if you ever get to a spot where you have like, say you have multiple Dragon's Rage channelers in play and you can go like play Underworld Breach, mill two cards, bobble from the graveyard, trigger the two channelers, mill two cards. You just like go through your entire deck and get, you know, seven or eight or nine, ten plus prowess triggers in that that one big turn. But even though it's the best card in the deck, wouldn't play more than two because you don't really want it in your opening hand. It can be kind of awkward there. Uh, so that is pretty much it for the Gruel Prowess deck. Uh, the second one... Oh, Stan's got something. Look, you're playing Gruel. Mm-hmm. I, I have a, a favor to ask. Okay. I <laughs> need this? you to... There's a card it, I need you to make good. Oh, Because no. I've invested a lot of money into it. Okay. And it's called Thrasta Tempest Roar. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I got I got eight copies, full art, MH2 Mythic. Stan's just got his binder out here. Uh-huh. <laughs> the binder cam. I can't make any promises. <laughs> if if not now, then when? I could do my best, though. Well, didn't we just talk about why we didn't like Gruul instead of Izzet, and now you're trying to get me to play a Gruul card? What's what's the deal I mean, here? here you are. I don't know, as long as, <laughs> as, long as you have the deck rented. <laughs> Uh, but the, uh, the the other prowess deck, not featuring Thras the Tempest Roar, unfortunately for Stan, is uh, Jeskai Prowess. This is kind of the more, I guess, traditional stockish version of Prowess. This is the one that I was definitely uh, thinking of playing in the RCQ, which I got the list from mm. local friend Bailey, aka BCS8995 on Twitter X, whatever calling it these days. And they actually top forward one of the uh, local RCQs that I didn't go to. And local because they drove two and a half hours and I didn't want to drive that far. The, this looks very much like prowess to me, Devin. Is there anything novel here? Oh yeah, it's prowess. Okay, okay. So this is there's no new tech here. This is prowess. No, the only I guess the only new tech is the fable of the mirror breakers in the sideboard. I don't think that's very stock. Okay, just and for the grindy think, matchups, as they say. Right. Yeah. Well, I think importantly, it's really, really good against scam specifically because it's one of the few cards that in the prowess sideboard that can give you like outside of expressive and, and things like that, that gives you that clean two for one. And that's why I think it's it's really, really important against scam. Well, uh, you know, a new ish card is preordained technically. And, you know, obviously prowess has had plenty of cantrips to choose from over the years instant and sorcery speed does the quality of preordain in and of itself make prowess better or is it just the consistency of like drawing better cards setting up better plays i mean i guess i maybe just answered my own question so it's uh it, it's very very funny you asked that because we i have a little little write-up thing here as far as preordain is concerned i think honestly i think this might be the best preordain deck that we've seen so far since preordain was uh, since preordain was unbanned and i think that's for a couple of reasons so prowess decks in the past have had kind of issues where you just kind of draw the wrong half of your deck in the early game and you didn't have like a, a card preordain, like that yes to kind of sm- thanks <laughs> thanks you kind of you kind of didn't have the ability to smooth out your draws before you would draw too many creatures or too many spells and 
preordained kind of is it's mana efficient. It's, it's as mana efficient as it can get. It's going to cost one mana. You can't get more mana efficient than that. And it's the card in terms of mana efficiency versus how many cards that you look at to help fix those draws. It is undeniably the best one in the format for one mana. So it gives you the ability to, you know, fix those draws early on while still being a very good top deck late, because not only is it triggering your prowess creatures, but you're also digging three cards to help find that expressive or that uh, underworld breach to kind of close out the game. So I, I do think this is probably the best preordained deck that we've seen out of all of the ones that have included it. Um, and that's kind of part of the reason why I think this deck is very, very good. The one thing that I also did want to touch on here, uh, you'll notice a lot of people had talked about Elusive Otter, right? As far yes. as, you know, one mana, blue, prowess creature, they would just stop, slot right into the blue red prowess deck. They want more one drops. And yes, I agree. It would be nice to have another copy of Soul Scar or Swiss Spear. The problem with Elusive Otter, especially when you're comparing it to something like a Sprite Dragon, is the pump, as far as Elusive Otter versus Dragon is concerned, the pump's not permanent. Right. And when you're playing in a world of all these Orcish Bowmasters, when they Bowmaster your Otter, you not only you have to have a spell to protect it that turn, but then if they have a follow up Bowmaster or more likely a not dead after all on the Bowmaster that you're killing, you need another spell to be able to save it, you know, so on and so forth. So it's it's just kind of awkward where like. You need to constantly have spells up, and whereas with Sprite Dragon, once you get that first counter, regardless of what they do with their Bowmasters the rest of the game, you they they can only deal that one damage to it because you got that permanent pump. So I think even though it's two mana versus one, I do still think that I like Sprite Dragon a little bit more. And then um, you know just last last very very small note here, the white sideboard card. So this is is it prowess, but we are splashing white in the sideboard for uh, Path to Exile and Prismatic Ending. Very, very important because your deck is kind of weak to cards like Sanctifier and Vec and uh -huh. Chalice of the Void. So I think I like those two uh, to be able to answer those. Sweet. That's all I got. Man, we talked about a lot of decks today. Holy moly. Mm. Yeah. And we didn't even need Dave to talk about prowess. No. <laughs> At us. <laughs> is Dave going to be mad that I talked about prowess without him? Uh, I think he's going to be sad that he doesn't get to talk to you about yes, it, no, to be honest. Sure. I mean, that's his fault for not being here this weekend. <laughs> that's right. For getting Skyline instead of recording the show. Oh, yeah. He's in Cleveland this weekend. I don't want to. I, 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 guess, I guess I can't dox him. He'll be home by then. Yeah. So, you know, we're. I think we're running low on time. Yeah, let's get do out we, of here. Do we, do we need to mention a new card or should we save it? For let's, just, let's just save it. We've, we've had some long episodes lately, listeners, so we'll keep this one a whole maybe 10 minutes shorter than our, our ones have been. How about, how about let's, just, let's just tease the next episode? Cavern of Souls. Thumbs up? Thumbs down? Thumbs sideways? No, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good card for decks that want to run it. Mm -hmm. My counter spells won't work anymore, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a th thumb sideways. On Cavern. I don't have too many and thoughts. Pioneer and beyond. Well, um, it depends on how much time we get. Basically, the counter spells in Pioneer suck. I don't think Cavern's going to change that much. Like, the counter spells are already bad, and you're giving people less reasons to play the bad counter spells. It's like, it's it's not going to impact that much, I think. Devin, mastering the art of the tease <laughs> with with a, a short a short rant. Yeah, we, we can go deeper next week. But All right, yeah, more more on that next week. Our first episode of October. Wow. 
Okay. Spooky month. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Great episode. I had fun. I'm glad I got to play standard again. But that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question or just reach out in general, you can tweet us. We're still on Twitter for now. Maybe by the time you tweet us, we won't be. But for now, we're on Twitter. You can reach us at the dive down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash thedivedown. And check out our store at thedivedown.com slash store. Head over to heavyplay.com to get some incredible deck and dice boxes and playmats featuring the Equip Mag system. Use promo code thedivedown2023 for 10% off your first order from heavyplay.com. Or just head over to thedivedown.com and click on our affiliate link and that'll do all the work for you in getting that sweet Heavy Play discount. Also shout out to Manitraders for sponsoring the Dive Down. Sign up for Manitrader using the promo code THEDIVEDOWN23, all one word, for 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And also get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using the promo code THEDIVEDOWN23 for 15% off your first order at Barrister and Man. And look, it's RCQ season. Buy some paper cards and save some money while you do that over at Nerd Rage Gaming. Promo code DIVE8 gets you 8% off your order at NRG. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Space Blood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and beans. Beans, the musical fruit. The more you eat, the more you too. Welcome to episode 242 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest. Hold on, Stan's here. Stan. I was going to jump in in the next paragraph. (laughs) I thought that was the bit.